How many people are happy to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. It's been a month, but it's been a great month of different activities for the kids. And um, so it's been a blessed month. Camp was blessed. So we're glad to be back in the house of the Lord with you guys. And you still look as good as when that month ago. Amen. So if you would please open your Bibles with me in the book of Ephesians. We are continuing to make our way in that book um, for the past few um, past few weeks prior to our break. And today we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 to 16. How many people love babies? Amen. Are babies cute? Babies are very cute, right? They're very gubbly. Like, um, how many people, when you get in a room and you see a baby, you want to hold your baby? Let me see your hand. That's you want to hold the baby, you want to... But how many people know it's hard when you have a baby that doesn't develop? It's very hard. You know, there are some conditions that make it where... Unfortunately, you could have a child and they never develop their, their, their mind or they never develop their body. And now what was a subject of joy is now a subject of hardship because it, it's, we want to see the kids grow at all stages. And so today I want to talk to you about this subject of growing up. Grow up. Touch your neighbor and say grow up. You know, like, if you're like me, and sometimes, like, let's say you have nephews and nieces and you don't see them for a long time, their image of the last time you saw them, that's what stays stuck in your mind, right? And so you see your little nephew, um, or even during COVID, like some of the young people in the youth ministry, I remembered them from before COVID. So before COVID, they were like, oh, hi, Brother David. And after COVID, hey, Brother David. Like, what happened? Like, what happened to you, right? And then, and so you grew during that time. Um, and how many people know that Christ expects us to also grow spiritually? Right? We're not meant to stay um, at the same level all the time. It's a beautiful thing when you get saved and you receive Christ and, and you're all on fire. But if you stay in that same level then it's a, it's a subject of concern. So please read with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 to 16. It says, But to each one, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. God's work, God's word is already blessed. How many people know we serve a God that is a graceful God, right? We serve a God that is a generous God, that God is a God that is a giving God. He's not a stingy God. He gives us a lot of things. So Paul starts by um, describing Christ as the one who ascended, and while he ascended, he gave us gifts. But then he says, if he ascended, how could he ascend if he's our is because he descended, right? So, so the first gift that we got from God is himself, right? He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, who came down to the earthly regions and then showed us how to live for 30 plus, 30, 33 years. And then he died. And then what happened? He went in, in the under, showed them who's boss, and then he went up to heaven. But he said what? He said, while I'm going up, I'm not going to leave you orphans, right? I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So the first gift that we got from God is the Son. And then the second gift that we get from God is the Holy Spirit. Now, in Scripture, when you have a triad, right? When you have a triad... Um, the third one is, is often the deepest dimension. For instance, the humans, you are what? Body, mind, and spirit. The, the deeper proportion is the spirit. Um, three things remain. It says faith, hope, and love, right? And the, the greatest of these things is, is love, right? So when he says, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit... What does that mean? Does that mean that the Holy Spirit is more important than the Father and the Son? It speaks to the level of intimacy. When you know when you talk about God the Father, you think about God the Father is in heaven. And he does what he pleases in heaven. You talk about God the Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ came and he was called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means what? God with us, right? So he's walking with us and Peter's there and John is there and they're walking together. But he says, the son himself said, it is preferable for me to leave. Now, how could that be? Well, because if I don't leave, I cannot send you part three of the plan, which is the Holy Spirit. And why? Because Jesus, God is in heaven. Jesus is walking with us, but the Holy Spirit is in us. He says, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses in Judea, in J Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the extent of the world. God gave us gifts. God saved us. But guess what? He does that for a purpose. 
How many people know God doesn't save you just to save you? God saves you for you to serve. And he says this, he gives them, verse 7 to 11, he says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ of portion. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took the many captives and gave them gifts. What does he ascended mean? That he also descended to the lower earthly region. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than to the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, if I ask you how many ministers are there in the church, how many would you say? How many ministers are there in the church? I speak loud, I don't hear you. Yeah, but you don't know because I did it before, so you know my trick. And, and so a lot of times we think that the people that are in the front are the people that are called to ministry. But in reality, the people who are called in ministry is everybody that is saved. He says, he gave them gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the, the evangelists, the pastor and doctor. And those are ministers of the word, right? And their job is to preach the word. The job of the apostle, the job of the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and doctor, they teach or preach the word in one way or the other, right? The, the evangelist is focused on bringing people to Christ, right? So, so he would go, and those are, those are the people who, who, who their heart is to save the lost, and and every time every message that they preach is going to be turned into an evangelism message. You can ask them to preach about. Um, the sacrifice of the Old Testament is going to come to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, and how you can be saved tonight. That's the evangelist. The, the teacher, the, the, the teacher, the teacher goes, he's the one, anytime that he, he preaches, he got to tell you what the word means, and they got to go, and, and, and all of those, they have one goal, and if we go to that verse, it says, verse 12, so Jesus gave all of those to us to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So we have the gifts of God, but for what? For us to reach unity and maturity in Christ. You cannot have unity unless you have maturity, and you cannot have, you don't have maturity unless you have unity. But you need to be intentional in your growth. God has not saved you to just stay and be, be a little infant. God has saved you so that you could grow and you could serve. You know, when it comes to, to salvation, we don't choose who God is going to save, right? The Father does that. He selects them. Um, we don't save them, right? We don't have the power. I don't have the power to die for you. Jesus does that. And when it comes to secure their salvation, we don't secure, like, I can't control everything. The Holy Spirit does that. But the one thing that we do is we serve them. We serve the church. We serve the people of God. And that's what God has called you. And I'm going to ask you, how are you serving? How are you serving? What is your contribution to the kingdom of God? There is nobody that God has saved that he did not give a gift to. I'm going to repeat that. There is nobody that God has saved 
that he did not give a gift to. So now my question to you is, how are you putting your gifts and talents to the service of Christ? He says, he gave us the ministers of the word to equip his people for works of service. That works of service is ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. So to, to, to equip it, it is to, it has that sense in, in the word, to make right. If you've ever been uh, working on something, right? If you ever made, uh, if you're a craftsman, if you ever made a machine, if you ever built a house, first it starts and it's all a mess, right? If you go by any construction site and it's all a mess, but eventually it, the mess takes shape, right? And so, so your spiritual life, when you start off with Christ, it's a mess. But as Christ is working through you, in you, with, with the ministry that, that is happening, now he's crafting and you get a better image of what you're going to become. But then when you go to equipping, it, it, it's to fine tune, right? It is to fine tune for a piece to feed fit well together. So it's like the mechanic or, 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 or the engineer when he's making this little piece that's going to go in, 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 in that spot for, for the whole thing to work. There, they said a story about there was a company and they were building, uh, they were they had a machine and the machine broke and, and they couldn't repair it. So they called the, the specialist to come fix the machine. And the, 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 the specialist comes he sees the machine, and two seconds he does, Poof, and the machine works. Like, wow! All right, and they say, okay, well, how much is that going to be? He says, $10,000. What? He literally took two seconds. Like, how, how was it $10,000? Can you at least itemize what you did? He said, okay. So he does an invoice, and it's like, fixing the, the screw, $1. Knowing which screw to fix, $9,999. That's the fine tuning that the Holy Spirit does. Now imagine the body of Christ, you're one of those pieces. And we can think sometimes that some pieces are not essential, but you ever been to the mechanic with your car and you don't understand what's going on and the mechanic comes and oh, it's just, just a little cord. Every piece of the body of Christ is important. Which means the gift that God has given you for the body of Christ is important. But maybe you're like, okay, you know what? Dave, I, I don't feel like I, I'm ready. I don't feel, and, and I feel like a lot of people do not follow through with the gift that God has given them because they believe the lie that you got to be perfect to serve God. How many people think like, okay, you know what? I would serve God if only I was up to this level. Or how many people think, oh, they see pastor so-and-so, they see preacher so-and-so, and they think that there's some super spiritual level. And, and that might be true. Control yourself, Dave. Don't make a joke. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. But you, you, and you feel like pastor so-and-so is, is that level. They reach or couple so-and-so or they're so. Listen, they're all human. We're all human. Ain't nobody perfect. Everything that happens 
in the work of God is by the grace of God. Nothing that happens in the work of God is by merit. It's all by grace of God. So now if God has given you a gift, get your act together and come serve and, and put your gift to the service of Christ. And you're like, yeah, but Dave, no, no, y'all, you know, you wake up, you pray an hour, you read your Bible for two hours. That's not true and true. So I want to tell you that what you're going through right now, other people have been there too. Every man of God that you see in the Bible, they're all messed up. All messed up. Moses was a murderer. Abraham was a liar. David, we're not going to go there. But if we look at Peter, 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 when he was in ministry and Jesus, so imagine you're at the Jesus University where Jesus is, is right there. Jesus is right there. And Peter, Peter is the symbol of the embodiment of verse 14, right? It says, if you go to the next slide, verse 14, it says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's Peter, right? Peter is one moment he's good, the other moment he's bad. One moment he says something that blows your mind, the other moment he says something that Jesus has to rebuke you, rebuke him. And now, our generation, we're a generation that loves entertainment. We love entertainment. We love to have fun. We love to have things fast, but we don't like to do the hard work. We don't like to do the hard work. When you compare to the old missionaries, right? There was a missionary, uh, William Carey. He went to mission. Um, his wife was pregnant. He was like, now nah, I'm not advising anybody to do that. His wife was pregnant. And he said, you know what? God is calling me to go to India. I'm going to go to India. And, and back, back in the 1800s. But I, I'm, so the sister of the wife said, okay, you know what? I'm going to come with you to take care of her. So now they go on the mission. And he goes and he translates the whole Bible from Hebrew and Greek into those people's language. So now think about it. That's before Google. That's before Duolingo. How many people are on Duolingo? How many people have a streak that's more than 100 days? Not there yet. But imagine what it is now to learn a language that is a foreign language and then take the Bible that's in Hebrew, another foreign language, and translate it into that language. And one day they go out, and guess what? The warehouse where they stored all the Bibles? A burn. A burn. Before there's no computer where you save your work. It burned. So guess what he did? He did it again. He did it again. Why? So that the people could be saved. He put his life to the service of other people. But now, man, do we have that kind of stamina? Do we have that kind of, of, of drive to do the work of God in that sense? No, we like, we like everybody, everything, you know, if it's a language, it's going to be Google Translate, right? It's not going to be doing the hard work to learn. Now, Peter was with Jesus, and he, um, 
So one moment is good, one moment is bad. So in his resume, like imagine you, we have to hire a pastor for the church and I send you Peter's resume, right? And you find out, okay, Jesus in Matthew 16, he was a stumbling block to Jesus. He said, Jesus, no, I know the Father's wanting to you to, to go and be crucified. You're not going to go and be crucified. And then Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, how would you like Jesus to call you Satan, right? So that's one. Number two, when, when they come to get Jesus, uh, what Peter do? Peter comes and says, no, 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 you're not going to take my master. He takes his sword and cut somebody's ear off. And then Jesus goes and says, nah, just stop. You're not, we're not cutting people's ears off. And if you kill by the sword, you're going to perish by the sword. No, let me do what God the Father wants me to do. And then he gets arrested. And then the night of, what happened? Peter denied Jesus, what, one time? Two times? Three times, right? So, so now that's... Um, Peter's pedigree. That's his resume, right? He's a stumbling block for Christ, attacks people uh, and denies and then lies and denies. But guess what? If you go in, in um, Acts chapter 4, you see a different story. You see Peter now standing up for Christ, right? He says in Acts chapter 4, verse 8 to 13, he says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and joined and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary of Peter and John, and, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So the same Peter that was denying Christ in front of a little girl in the night of the crucifixion is now after race, somebody was lame, meaning they were handicapped, and he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave him back his, 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 his um, ability to walk, the leaders, rather than rejoice about the, the guy who got healed, they got on their case because they were preaching the name of Jesus. So now guess what? They put him in jail. And they, they, they ordered them to stop preaching. But guess what? They, they wouldn't stop preaching. They wouldn't stop preaching. And now the same Peter that was afraid of a little girl, now he's standing up in front of all the rulers and he's standing up for Christ. Why? Because that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of transformation of Christ. And then, so that's Peter. But then you have Paul. What did Paul do? Paul was a guy, he, so religious and so um, on fire for God that he thought that killing God's people was a good idea. So Paul is the one, when the first guy who died for his, for his faith, Stephen, Paul was there and he was, he was too young to take the rocks, but he was there to encouraging people and he was very zealous, he was very driven 
to get Christians and put them to jail. And so guess what happens to him? He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and Jesus changes his life. But then in Acts chapter 9, Paul wants to join the Christians. Now you, you guys are too young. You guys don't know who Osama bin Laden is, no? Some of you do. Some of you don't. How many people would be like, if Osama bin Laden back when he was alive would come here and say, I want to receive Christ? I guarantee you, Osama comes in the building. Everybody, oh, look at the time, right? Everybody, everybody walk out. And then so, Paul needed somebody to have his back. So in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, 27, he says, when he came to Jerusalem, Paul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had been had, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and now and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So imagine you have a reputation that's so bad that people that saw lame people walk, that saw the blind see, don't believe that you could be saved. That was like one of my homies. Um, see, I was blessed because he was my friend in, in elementary school, so nobody would touch me because if you touch me, you touch him. That type of guy. When the Holy Spirit came in town, and, and started saving a lot of people, people would be like, yeah, well, yeah, Mano saved, yeah, I believe that. Jimmy saved, I believe that. But Andy, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe it until I see it. The, um, Andy, Andy was a guy, he was so tough. When they shot his brother, he went to the gang territory of who shot his brother, and he walked right up to the guy who shot his brother and said, I know you shot my brother. I just want to tell you, Jesus loves you. And he walked away. And nobody would touch him because he was that tough. But that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It can take you from a gangster to a man of God. He can take you from a prisoner to a pastor. He can transform your life. And we see it in the last example, Mark. So, after they went to Jerusalem, now they're accepting Peter on one of their mission. Barnabas and Saul, they see a young man and they find that that young man has promised. And then they say, okay, you know what? You're going to come with us. So in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, it says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. So they take Mark and they go on a mission trip. But then they, when they go on the mission trip, Mark sees, you know, mission trip is hard. I know we're going to Kenya and y'all think we're going to Cancun. We're not going to Cancun, right? We're not going to Playa del Carmen or whatever. We're going to this mission and mission could be hard because you don't know what's going to happen on mission. It's not a five-star hotel. Sometimes you sleep on the floor and who knows, maybe you sleep on the floor and you feel stuff crawling on, who knows? I don't know. But then you know that it gets hard. So Mark is on the mission with them. It gets hard. So guess what? They walk. He, he walks out. 
How many people, if you ever been in, um, in any type of project, the toughest thing is not the person who tells you no, it's the person who tells you yes, but then backs out. Because you relied on them, and then while you were relying on them, they, 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 they let you down. It's kind of like if you go in a room, there's no chairs, you're going to stand up. And so, that was their first trip. On their second trip, Barnabas says, all right, let's go, let's take Mark. And here's how that went. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach, or we preach the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And then if we would keep reading, you see the Bible says that the disagreement became very um, intense between them, meaning they had beef. Barnabas says, no, we're taking him. Paul says, no, we're not taking him. Yeah, we're taking him. I'm not taking him. I know he's here. And they beef. To the point that the great duo, Barnabas and Saul, went their separate ways. And in the book of Acts, later on, you do not see any talk of Barnabas, and you don't see any talk of, of Mark after that. But guess what? And that was in the year, about year 48, 48 to 51. But go with me in Colossians, Daniel. You do with PowerPoint? You're like 10 slides behind. <laughs> Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, and that is year 62 that Paul is writing this, right? He says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So now it's like, you, you know, by the way, if you're married, one advice that they tell married couples is if you have beef with your spouse, don't tell your family. Why? Because your family won't take sides. So let's say I have a beef with my wife, blah, 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 blah and then I tell my, my, my mom, my dad, blah, 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 and then we resolve the beef. We're good, but guess what? They're still on the beef. They still see you as, oh, you did that to my daughter, or oh, you did that to my son, and they're still on the beef, right? So we might have moved on, but they're still on the beef. So now Paul and Barnabas, they moved on from the beef, but here's, here's what Paul says, has to say, he has to say, you have received instruction about Mark, receive him, we're good. Don't divide the body because of a disagreement, rather keep the unity of the body, keep the unity and maturity, so now, Paul instructs the Colossians to receive Mark, right? So Mark went from, oh, you're cool, come on mission with us, to no, you're not cool, you're not coming on mission with us, to now you're cool, you can be received. But then look what happens toward the end of, of, of um, Paul's life. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, and that's the year 64, between 64 and 67. So that's towards the end of his life. That's the last book that Paul wrote. It says, only Luke is with me. 
get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So Mark went from being useless, we're now, we don't want you to come to being useful. But if you look, I put the dates in there so that we can realize in chapter 12, that's your 44, let's say. And in Mark chapter 2, verse, that's your 64. That's a 20 year span. Right? That's a 20 year span that we go Mark from being a good guy to being a bad guy to being an okay guy to being a great guy. How many people know that unfortunately your critics they're always going to see you as as you were. Right? Your critics, they're always going to see you as you were. It doesn't matter what you do, you're always a vagabond. Your comrades, they're going to see you as you are. The people that are with you, they know you, they see you as you are. But I want to tell you that your commander-in-chief doesn't see you as you were, doesn't see you as you are, but he sees you as you will be. He sees you as how, because he sees you how he's going to make you become. Right, he sees you as how he's going to transform you. So, so, and, and the preacher talked about it about camp when Gideon was being called. He was called the mighty warrior, but he was just doing little stuff. But he was called the mighty warrior because God already saw him as he would become. And I want to tell you that God already sees you how you're going to become. And if you work with the children and you work in ministry, understand that the children that we work with. God is, is some of them, they might be knuckleheads today, but they're preachers tomorrow. They might be, they might be uh, troublemakers today, but they're going to be, they're going to be great people tomorrow because of what God is going to do in their life. And so we get gifts from God so that we could reach unity and maturity, understanding. And the reason I said Peter and I said Paul and I said Mark, all of those different people is because I want you to understand it's everybody. Everybody is in the process of progress, right? Nobody's perfect. Can you imagine? Jesus took 12 people and all those 12 had flaws. One, one was even like, you know, Judas. Touch your neighbor and say, don't be a Judas. But all of them, except Judas, of course, live a life and die the death that honored Christ. They weren't perfect, but in the end, Peter, they say he was crucified upside down. Because he said, I don't, I'm not worthy to die the way my master died. They say, I think they say, was it Thomas went to India and preached the gospel in India and he ended up giving his life for Christ over there. And all of them gave their life. So now understand this, that God is going to do great things to you if you give your life to Christ. Meaning, if you surrender to Christ every day. Because we cannot do it by ourselves. We are wholly and totally dependent on Christ. And that's verse 15 and, and, and 16, our last verses, right? He says, instead, speaking the, the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every su supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The whole body, the head is Christ. 
You cannot make it on your own. You cannot achieve, and I know, you know, we live in America, right? America is, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and go and make it happen, right? And that's the attitude. But there are some things that God is going to do in your life, you're not going to be able to achieve it on your own. And guess what? If you have a dream and you're able to achieve that dream on your own, you're dreaming too small. You're dreaming too small. You need to have dreams that are dreams that are godly dreams that are beyond what you can do. It's William Carey that says, attempt great things for God. Well, believe great things from God and attempt great things for God. You have to believe God can do great things, but then you got to try to do great things, understanding that it is not come, it's not going to come from you. Like the song that we says, because victory comes from Jesus. Victory doesn't come from you. So my, my, my invitation for you this afternoon is, number one, take an assessment of the gifts that God has given you. Like some of you might be, Dave, I don't have a gift. That's a lie. You do have a gift. And you need to figure out what the gift is. Now, I can't necessarily tell you what the gift is or what the gift is not, but God has given you a gift. And if he's given it to you, well, go to him and say, God, what's my gift? Show me what my gift is. You know, there's that passage in um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, give your bodies as living sacrifice to God. And that would be your reasonable act of worship. But if you go further down that, that chapter 12, then he goes talking about ministry. Meaning the first step to knowing your ministry is to surrender yourself to Christ. And I'm not talking only about salvation. I'm talking surrendering to Him every day. Surrendering to Him every day. And when you know what your gift is, now put your gift to the service of the body of Christ. Because God that gives the gifts, He gives them for a purpose. Now understand, if you're not putting your gift to the service of the body of Christ, one way or the other, guess what's, who's hurting? The body of Christ. Because imagine, you ever have an itch? What happens if you have an itch on your top of your head? What's going to happen automatically? Your hand is going to come to the rescue of your head. Right? But what if you don't have a hand? Then that's a problem. That's a problem. One of the toughest things in the hospital is when you're sitting down and you need to scratch but you can't move. Right? And then, so guess what? Every different ministry is important to the body of Christ. So find your gift, put your gift in the service. But then the, the goal is to reach unity and maturity. How many people have beef with other people and can't let it go? If you have beef in other people, don't break the body of Christ for whatever that was. Because the body of Christ is eternal. It's eternal. And last is to wholly give yourself to Christ. Because he's the head and we depend upon him. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.